Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of The Call in the Apple Podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome back to Ausbiz, Australia's only live streaming business and markets network. Great to have your company for the next hour or so for the call. 10 stocks, which you suggest to us and we put them to an expert panel and what a panel we have today henry jennings from marcus today henry welcome andrew whelan don't shake your head he's actually pretty good from dp <laughs> wealth advisory in toowoomba jeez oh i just got to sit the tenor of the show early koshi you know just if you, <laughs> he's hard to pull back so you just keep him down early and you know good for the rest of the hour for us all. So I'm doing this as a community service, Koshi. Yeah, Do loving it, loving it. All right, you two, let's uh, get stuck into <laughs> it because uh, we always uh, need to get through things um, here on the call. We sometimes run out of time. I don't want to today with you two. Um, today, I thought we'd, uh, uh, we've got earnings dropping all around the places we have for the last week or so. Um, today, I thought we'd focus as our stock of the day on not one, but two. Um, in the same sector, two of the buy now, pay later names have dropped their results today. Afterpay and Zip, the two biggies. Henry, first to you, what do you think of uh, Afterpay and Zip's results and how do you see them at this stage on the market? Uh, hi, David. Um, it, it's a bit of a tricky one, isn't it? Because both these results were pretty much telegraphed in advance to some extent. Um, and it's really now a question of selling the sizzle with uh, these guys, the founders, the CEOs, etc., hitting the airways. I've just seen them plastered all over CNBC and you guys have got them on as well. For Afterpay though, it's it's a whole different ball game because it's all about really the square share price these days uh, because it is under takeover. They have this scheme of arrangement. So it is a factor of the square share price. So where the square price goes, the afterpay price will go. And it's about selling that deal, about selling the synergies and the strategy going forward for the company rather than the raw numbers. Undoubtedly, the numbers are big. They, they've always been big. Active customers, 16.2 million. Active merchants, 98.2 thousand. Uh, these are both big, massive percentage increases from last year, 63 and 77% respectively. So the numbers are big. What is, I guess, worrying is that it costs a lot of money in marketing to get Afterpay uh, up and going in a territory. And we can see that with the, the net margin now is falling slightly now, 2.1% from 2.3% for Afterpay. So some of those marketing costs, no doubt, going into uh, getting new merchants on board uh, and cutting those costs for merchants. And, and there is a bit of a uh, a war going on in pricing with Apple coming along and PayPal, etc. So um, Afterpay very much a function of the square price. If you work it all out, uh, it gives you a valuation for Afterpay around this morning of around $140.42 going on that square share price of 270 US dollars with a 0.375 conversion ratio and doing the currency switch. As far as Zip goes, I guess the jury is far more out with this one. Uh, initially, the market didn't really like it, and I've got to say that right down on QuadPay was a bit, oh, um, that wasn't so good. But, um, you know, there, there are brokers that have got very low valuations on Zip, and they have brokers like Shore and Partners 
who have got a $16.25 valuation on this stock. So um, there's clearly the shore guys think there's some upside there. Jonathan Higgins, who's the analyst around there, is, is pretty good on this buy now, pay later stuff. But I have to say I was a bit ho-hum on the results from Zip. I wasn't completely convinced. And I think they're going to have to do a lot more sizzle selling, if that's the right word, to get uh, some interest. Interestingly as well, they've got a massive short position in the stock. I think around 9.8% of the stock is shorted. So um, just adds to the complications. But at the moment, I think, you know, I'd like to see how the chips fall in the next few days. But there was nothing very fantastic about the result. But equally, there was nothing nasty apart from that quad pay write down. So mm. for me, I guess they're both a hold and the market's saying that with the reactions to the results today. Andrew, what did you think of them? Yeah, look, the afterpay result, my uh, my learned friend is bang on. It's sure the market's looking at what the result is, but normally when it's profit reporting season, it's 20% what you've done, 80% what are you going to do in the future? And we know in the future that the uh, afterpay wagon is hitched to Square. Most people stuck with from Square. Uh, Square's really got some exciting things going on with Jack Dorsey. So certainly if I was an afterpay shareholder, I, I would remain there. Of course, being the ETF guy, I'd say stick with ATEC, A-T-E-C. Uh, and that's how you're going to get your uh, Square exposure because, of course, they'll be tradable on the ASX as a CDI. Um, probably the big takeaway from the afterpay result, as Henry said, is just that significant marketing spend that's going on at the moment. We'll talk about Zip in a moment. They've uh, equally got that going on as well. Uh, there was also significant investment in uh, staff costs as well, which you know is arguably viewed as an investment. But really, it, what it comes down to is that they've got around 30% of their customers are coming to them directly from using the app. So if you compare and contrast that to old school finance, you'd go into a bank branch and you'd get signed up by a manager or a teller or whoever it may be, whereas uh, Afterpay has completely bypassed that model. As long as you've got a mobile phone and you've got access to the App Store or the Play Store, 30% of their customers are coming directly from that. So you can see why there's that big marketing spend. So uh, overall, afterpay result was good, but we're really now looking at the square result. In the context of Zip, I think I've seen some commentary that describes it as messy and uh, lots of costs in there. There was also an increase in provision for bad and doubtful debts, which is a little concerning, not market, but it's a bit concerning. And certainly, uh, as I just mentioned before, that marketing spend. So a note consensus on Zip is around $8.62 prior to this result. <coughs> that will change post the result. But uh, if I had to choose one of the two, I'd be choosing Afterpay because having Square in my corner, I could certainly think of worse things to be happening to me. Yeah. So, so do you stick with Afterpay and go the Square conversion, Henry, or... See, I've, ever, ever since the lowies sold out of Westfield, I always think when the founders sell, <laughs> it's time to get yeah. out, <laughs> no matter who you are, because <laughs> they've seen the top of the market, they're going, uh, although these, yeah. these guys are staying with Afterpay, and that would be part of the takeover that Square would have stitched them up to keep running it. But is it the top of the market? Sort of margins were being squeezed. It, it, it's a great exit strategy for afterpay, I guess, in some respects. And it shows that you do need to uh, to spend money to, to get that market share. And maybe it is hip to be square. I am you know, looking at the UBS valuation of afterpay at $45. That would imply that their square valuation would be whatever, like 90 bucks, I guess, yeah. a, a third or a quarter of where they are now. So... Um, that that's a bit strange for me. I guess you if you if you're going to buy into the square thing, you're going to have to buy into it lock, stock, and two smoking barrels. I, I would prefer, I must admit, to be um, maybe cashing up in afterpay, taking the money and running. I'm always a little concerned when you get these um, these big Goliaths of companies, Square and Afterpay. They are Goliaths, behemoths, if you like. There is sometimes a clash of culture. Now, I know it's all very well for the founders to say, yeah, yeah, no, we like Jack Dorsey. We've been there. We've shaken hands. We've, we've broken bread with him and everything's cool and cushy. But there's still a whole big company behind these Afterpay people that founded it that have got to integrate to some extent with Square. And there's a lot of jostling for position. It's not always easy, these cultural 
fit. And I think, you know, I, I don't know whether ATEC, uh, as Andrew says, the ATF, whether I don't know how they're going to treat Square in the ATEC thing, because Afterpay is such a massive part of the, uh, the tech index here on the ETF. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how local investors treat Square when it's listed here. And we've certainly seen in the past that uh, there is a tendency for local guys to exit. They don't want the hassle. They don't want to know what's you know, that something happening on the other side of the world. It's going to have such a massive effect yeah. on their shares here. So I would be, I think if I, if I was an afterpay shareholder, which unfortunately I'm not, um, I think I'd be lightening the load into the market and uh, just sitting back and waiting how things settle. Yeah. Maybe even switching into Zip as the, the, sort of the, the next cab off the rank with that leverage to the space. And there's always potential for you know, a, a someone to come along with Zip and um, do a share swap yeah. there. But um, I, I just think these takeovers are troubled sometimes. Yeah. Um, Andrew, you're, you're always very big on what founders and directors and chief executives skin in the game. How, how do you view founders cashing in? Oh, look, I think, again, I'm agreeing with Henry very early in the show. I'm setting the wrong tenor here, but um, he's, he's, he's well, absolutely... Plenty of show to come, Andrew. <laughs> there's, there's, certainly, there's certainly plenty to be mindful of relating to that whole um, culture clash. I think I've recounted previously when I worked for Macquarie, we were actually acquired by Macquarie and about a third of the staff of the old firm left in the first 18 months, not because Macquarie was terrible to work for, far from it. But it's just a different culture, different systems, different processes, different mindset, and people don't cope with that. So are there going to be sort of uh, uh, agreements to be keeping key staff, not just the founders? I think that's a, that's a really important one. Koshi, you mentioned uh, Westfield just before, and obviously uh, Frank Lowy and co absolutely timed that to a T. Uh, but with due respect to Frank, you know, he was uh, probably closer to uh, to retirement than not. Oh, and uh, The boys were running it. Yes, but ultimately, these founders love control. And if they can't have control, then, you know, it's take it or leave it, basically. Yeah, so from my point of view, Henry's bang on as a risk management strategy. Me personally, as long as the growth thematic stays in track for growth companies and tech companies, I want exposure to, uh, I want exposure to Square and uh, the proxy to do it. Just checking the weighting in um, ATEC after pay is currently 22%. Of uh, ATEX, it'll be interesting to see if that ratio holds. I think it's March next year is when the transaction's concluded. Right. Okay. And and I'll put the question to Anthony Eisen as well. You know, if you're when he comes on a bit later, if you're selling out, why? But um, and see how long he's locked into to Square Four. All right. Let's, question. Yeah. Let's get into uh, oh, the stocks thanks. that uh, viewers have sent in. And Andrew, uh, the first one, Max7 Technologies, the, uh, uh, the imaging, healthcare imaging platform. Uh, results yesterday, sales orders up 95%, total revenue only up the 1%, um, a loss of, um, of, a net loss of uh, uh, $9.3 million, which was uh, down a bit on the, um, previous year, down a lot on yeah, the previous year. Interesting one, Koshi. We covered this one back um, in January yep. and November, rather. And the share price back then was about a dollar twenty-five, and you know the share price now is back at that dollar, so it's had a uh, a little bit of a pullback. Um, obviously impacted by COVID. You know, it's the uh, image management. It was the old 3D medical. They operate in um, around 15 countries. They've got an amazing gross margin. Uh, gross margins about 97%. And you, you referenced those results that just came out. Sales up about 95%. I like the fact that about 60% of their revenues are now covered by ongoing subscriptions. So rather than sort of a uh, people are transactionally buying their product. They've now got 60% of their sales are actually coming from recurring income. So that sort of gives, um, so, you know, a lot of comfort relating to being able to cover those expenses. And the chair is the former CEO of ProMedicus. And mm. uh, we've seen recently what ProMedicus has done. I know Claude Walker's absolutely called that to a T. Where yep. are they today? $65 or something like that. Yep. Um, but... You look at that chart and the market knows something. Um, that chart doesn't look uh, super compelling. So I'd, I'd say I'm a hold on this one. Looks interesting. 
see them continue to execute. Okay, because uh, Henry, everyone saw Max Seven as sort of the uh, the baby pro medicus, didn't they? Uh, there does seem to be a lot of pro medicus babies around. I have to say, <laughs> if you, if you look at uh, there are a number of companies that can lay claim to having someone who is a founder or CEO of ProMedicus. Uh, so um, it, it's, a, it's a broad church, I've got to say. As far as Max 7 goes, this, I guess, is one of those companies that is transitioning from uh, a kind of a license fee structure to the, that SaaS uh, services and software um, kind of fee structure. And that does cause problems because... In the old days, and you took the big fat license fees up front, and that, that was it. And the market really loved that. And then nowadays, of course, you're getting your ten dollars a month, like your Netflix subscription, and you never cancel it. But it just takes time to build up that momentum. And I think this is one of those stocks that has taken some time to build up momentum. As Andrew says, the gross margin, ninety-seven percent. That's pretty damn good. And twenty percent of sales now are SaaS sales. So clearly, it is making that transition. But when you look at the chart, it barely raised a heartbeat on those results yesterday. I, I think there's probably better stocks in the sector that are um, that are kind of around at the moment, maybe with ProMedicus people behind them as well. So for me, it's a hold. It's trading down towards the bottom of its range recently. But I just, you know, it's hard to get excited on the back of those numbers. And I think it's still got some more water under the bridge to go before it can put its hand on its heart and say, yeah, we're a SaaS business now. All this revenue is recurring. It's all locked in. Uh, so I think that's a little way off yet. Maybe another six months, maybe the next set of figures will show that. But right. uh, it's, it's a hold because I think at the end of the day, it does look relatively OK, okay uh, at these um, sort of levels, but uh, wouldn't what, pile in. Henry, what about the uh, Telco Group, Unity Group, they, uh, their numbers? Um, for the last financial year, came out yesterday, revenue up 175%, uh, free cash flow $64 million, good increase in, uh, in profits. They've been on the acquisition trail a bit in the last 12 months as well, haven't they? Yeah, the, I've got to say, these guys have been doing everything right. They've become one of these market darlings. Like, to some extent, they remind me of the old TPG before it started to unravel a little bit. But they have been on the acquisition trail. They've bought uh, part of the Telstra mobile assets. Uh, it's not cheap, but it is executing really, really well. I still like this one. I think it's still got more legs in it, albeit maybe we see we may see the velocity of this rise. Because you look at that chart, it's just been one-way action really since it listed. And uh, there's not been too many pullbacks. So still like this one. It was ahead of expectations. Uh, growing margins, we had... Um, Momentum support. So, yeah, it's, it's hard to fault it, I've got to say, David. Okay. And Andrew, I, I, I like this one. I'm not sure I'd be piling in up here because it just has had a bit of a, a blast higher. But uh, any, any kind of pullback, certainly it's an accumulate. Quality stock, good management. Uh, Michael Simons is doing a particularly good job. I've seen him present on one or two uh, Ausbid shows before and really impressive. So uh, I think you just got to back management and back the product. It seems to be okay. going in the right direction. So you, you'd buy that in a pullback? Yeah, well, let's say buy it now. Why not? Okay. You've got to have some buys. All right. Andrew? Yeah, no, Henry's uh, he's absolutely nailed it. It's about the management piece. And uh, management is really strong here. And as you can see, they're executing another uh, alumni from the Ausbiz uh, pantheon of choices, and uh, we covered this back in January at a dollar sixty-nine. Uh, that's time we spoke about that share placement SPP at a dollar fifty, and look at it today, four dollars plus. So, and looking forward, the PE of thirty-nine probably looks a little rich compared to the market, which is about twenty-four, twenty-five times. However, forecast earnings per share growth going forward of sixty-two percent. So you're our friend, the peg ratio. You're trying to buy a company whose earnings per share growth percentage is greater than the PE, 39 versus 62. So, uh, yeah, look, I, I like it a lot and I would be uh, buying this one. Okay. All right. Okay. It's, a, as you say, it's had a, a good run up and telcos um, seem to be attracting a bit of attention at the moment. Um, our next stock to take a look at is Live Tiles. Um, 
the workplace solutions company, another um, sort of enterprise uh, platform. Uh, they've uh, June quarter cash receipts up a record 30% in their their latest <laughs> results coming out. Andrew, what do you think of live uh, live tiles? Koshi, when you get uh, mature and battle-hardened and you look at a number of ASX presentations, you start looking for key words and uh, sometimes they trigger you. And I just wanted to read you one sentence, if I may, which I apologise for the triggering which may occur here. Uh, after a challenging year, the board has commissioned a strategic review from an ex-McKinsey consultant. And, I mean, that in itself just sums it up. You know, if, if, if you're a company and you need to review your um, strategy and you've got to bring in a consultant who's ex-McKinsey, I'm not quite sure why they're no longer McKinsey, but they're ex-McKinsey, um, why would you buy into the company? Or they're, they're announcing their change in direction tomorrow, which is the 6th of August. But, uh, yeah, and you look at the share price, the share price tells you that the market shares a similar view. Um, again, another one we covered in January at 21 cents today at 15 and a half cents. It should be okay, Koshi. You know, like it's got Microsoft in there referring, 50% of their referrals come from Microsoft. Um, but the, the problem is there are better businesses out there. At the time when we covered this, you know, I said, well, why wouldn't you buy T&E Technology One, which has got a 50% return on shareholders' funds and a 21% margin, and that's gone from seven bucks to nine dollars at the same time that this has gone from 21 cents to 15. Yeah. So really by turnover, only about 260,000 shares, as uh, 260,000 dollars a day. It, it sounds okay, but. I'm not buying it, and obviously the market isn't either, so it's an avoid. Okay. it's uh, Henry, it's a bit like when football clubs say we're doing an independent review of our football operations, <laughs> and you go, sure, shouldn't you know what yeah. to do? <laughs> yeah, it's it's the same as when a company gets taken over and, they, and the, the new management team come in and say, nothing's going to change, guys, don't worry, nothing's going to change. And then you realise six months later that actually everything has changed and you don't have a job anymore. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's corporate speak. And as Andrew rightly says, uh, strategic reviews do set off alarm bells. I, I must admit, I've tried really hard in the past to like this. I owned it and it stuffed up for me. Uh, I have tried really, really hard to find the positives in it. But it's just been a serial disappointer. It used to come out with promising announcements after promising announcements and still the stock price went down. It just never seemed to really get any traction and it still remains struggle street for traction. And I can't see too many reasons to be there, to be honest. Lots of record this, record that, but strategic review sets off a few alarm bells. They're very dependent on the Microsoft thing. It just really doesn't float my boat anymore. Maybe it just Hell hath no fury like an investor scorned, but certainly uh, I recommended in the past it was a dog. I still think there's a dog and maybe there's better places to go if you want to go into someone's kennel. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's, um, uh, Sandeep, that's a, a, a pretty clear direction for you uh, from both um, Henry and Andrew there on Live Tiles. Uh, speaking about floating your boat, uh, Henry, Chris wants a... Uh, an update on Archer Materials. Chris goes, Henry Jennings put this forward as a stock that could change your life. I've watched the stock rise and rise, wishing I'd jumped on around 80 cents. Chris, you've just got to be quicker. Uh, the stock's now trading at $1.57, wondering what price he would consider as an entry price since the stock has run so hard. Of course, Archer Materials into uh, quantum computing. They've come on... Um, here at uh, Osbiz uh, a couple of times. A uh, few of my colleagues still can't work out exactly what it does, but uh, the share price has really been on a tear. Uh, yeah, I've got to say, Koshi, this, this is, we, had, we had a one-stock challenge, a one-stock that was going to That's change right. your life, and Archer Materials AXE was the stock that I picked at 75 cents. It got to three bucks uh, within about six weeks. So. Um, if that doesn't give you the chance to change your life, I'm not sure what does, to be honest. Yep. But uh, that's certainly, it's certainly been a, a, a fantastically good performer and also fantastically volatile. And going back to the original, I guess, investment thesis with this, it is quantum computing. They've got rid of all the other stuff and they focused on this side of things. Now, quantum computing is the next step. 
and they're trying to put qubits or they're trying to create a chip that has a quantum computing uh, the qubit they call it on that chip now that's really hard to do because quantum computing is not about ones and zeros it's about kind of a state of flux it's not easy and usually it's done at very very low almost approaching absolute zero temperatures so to be able to do it at room temperature is a game changer they are making progress but it was never the stock that i thought was going to be the instant winner this was a stock that was going to take time to build and it got so ridiculous that it got sort of stuck in the, the sights of the AFR and various other people trying to shoot it down. So it has become quite volatile. This was a five-year stock for me. This was a $200 million stock market cap when I recommended it that I thought had the potential to be a $1 billion stock in, in you know, five years' time. So that's a five-fold increase. But the, the velocity astonished me, I have to say. It was... Was extraordinary. There were memes about this stock, and I didn't really set out to create a meme on Archer material. But um, as far as where do you buy it, I guess it's it's a really hard one because it has run so hard. You know, even the email that you read out, the, he was talking about 157. They got to uh, two dollars yesterday, so that was a day or so out of date. Um, they're down six percent today. They're up twenty percent yesterday. This is volatile. It's it's I guess it's one of those stocks that you have to kind of Get some if you want to buy into the story, and then you may look at averaging over a time period and taking profits and trading it. To put a put a definitive price on it, to put a definitive value on it, is is really hard. Uh, I was quite happy when it was a two hundred million dollar stock at seventy five cents, but I did say to people to take profits at three bucks because that to me had just got silly. They had made a couple of decent announcements with some patents, so. I think it's probably got a little bit more downside, but certainly 150 looks as if there's some technical support. So maybe that's where I'd start dipping my toes in. But these things are to be traded. They're volatile. Even yeah. the whole uh, premise of the business is volatile. If it doesn't work, if they can't make the chip work, then, you know, I actually asked uh, Mohammed Shakir, who is the uh, CEO, lovely bloke. I did a podcast with him and interviewed him for half an hour and talked to him off, off the uh, off air. And, you know, he said, there is no plan B. This is a plan A. This is, we're going for this. Yeah. This is, this is the, the goal. That's why we got rid of the mineral tenements. So um, it's, it's a bit binary. Yeah, yeah. Like an early <laughs> stage biotech. Um, and yeah. as we said, when we did this series on stocks that could change your life, they're all high risk. Uh, don't bet the yep. house on any of them. But if you want to have a bit of fun and... It's part of a much bigger portfolio, and you want to put one percent in um, into something that could change your life. Then, you know, these could be the stocks for you, Andrew. What do you think? Yeah. Apart from Andrew, the boring that went uh, an ETF, but apart from that, the rest of them <laughs> high risk. But mine, <laughs> I think uh, you had a snooze, if I remember correctly, uh, Henry, when I was running through mine. But uh, no, Henry's done incredibly I well did. with Axon. And I note your comment relating to some of the press coverage that AXE has recently been receiving as well, uh, which uh, hasn't been super helpful. I don't think I've got a lot to add apart from the fact I agree, sort of that 150, 160 seems to be technical support. It is moving around a lot. It is a trading stock. But if they can uh, pull off this quantum computing, so as opposed to binary computing at the moment, if they can pull it off, then it's certainly got the potential to uh, do that four or five times. But if, so if they can't and there's no plan B, there might be some tears, so just be yeah. aware of what you're getting yourself involved in. Okay. All right, uh, Andrew, Maggie wants a view on, uh, let's go to the other end of the, uh, of the, um, of the share market scale, National Australia Bank. Uh, Maggie says, can I have the panel's opinion on which bank to invest in, if at all? Uh, is NAB more a property bank, therefore benefiting from the buoyant market? Uh, I'm looking for a safe place to park some money. Andrew, is the NAB that place that you'd park your money if you wanted to? Well, if you want to park your money and you want to be safe, you should park it in NAB as opposed to being a NAB shareholder. But let's pretend that you do want to own shares. Um, then certainly NAB, look, NAB's got exposure to property. I would have thought CBA would have been the property bank myself. I would have picked NAB as the business bank. So if you think businesses are going to continue to do well, 
and certainly here in Queensland, agri, you know, so given how well the guys and girls are doing in the agri space at the moment, that's a, a big thing for NAB. Certainly having Ross McEwen there is a, a big pickup for them. Uh, he certainly steered uh, Royal Bank of Scotland through some fairly turbulent waters back in uh, the GFC and has already proven to be fairly canny with his most recent acquisition of the uh, Citibank operations here in Australia. So certainly no issues with NAB um, management. I would be mindful that they've got a bit of an, an anti-money laundering thing going on at the moment with Austrac. It's about four years so far, and they're still batting and bowling away there. And as we know uh, what occurred with Westpac and CBA, that can take management's time and uh, effort in sort of dealing with that. Um, to the question as to which bank to buy, I mean, from my perspective, and it's probably not a like-for-like -like comparison, but I still like Macquarie. There's a lot of merger and acquisition activity taking place, as we've seen uh, most recently, you know, with BHP, Santos, um, Oil Search, et cetera. So certainly Macquarie would be my preference. And of course, it wouldn't be the call without me um, referencing an ETF without being asked. So that would be <laughs> MB would be the ETF to buy, MVB. And uh, Koshi would remember that's basically buys all four big banks, 20% each, owns some Macquarie, owns some Bendigo and owns some BOQ. So if you can't work out which is the better one, why not just buy MVB? Because mm. it gives you exposure to all the banks. But if you had to pick a bank, I'd go Macquarie. Nothing wrong with NAB, but there are some things you need to think about there. Yep. Henry? Um, well, let's face it, all the, all the banks are pretty much the same. They've become a sort of a glob, a, a mess. Uh, CBA probably sticks out from the other three uh, mainly because it trades on a premium, because its technology is better. But the ANZ, Westpac and NABs, all pretty similar in lots of respects. Uh, they have shrunk to greatness. They have all become building societies. They all, all have become leveraged to the property market and leveraged to the economy. Now, if you believe the economy is going to uh, reopen, do well, property is going to continue to do well, then being in the banks is not a bad place to be. We've got lots of capital management happening with buybacks, with dividends increasing. Uh, we've got on-market and off-market buybacks in the banks. So it's not a bad place to be. I have to say my advice sometimes, if you can't make up your mind which to pick, if you don't want to go with CBA because it's more expensive than the others on a PE basis, then I would buy the one that you bank with. That way you get some revenge. So uh, bearing in mind these guys pay out sort of 70, 80 percent of their profits to shareholders as fully frank dividends. If you're paying your fees every year to the ANZ, why not buy the ANZ shares? Because at yeah. least that way uh, you're getting some sort of rebate back. And more importantly, I guess, apart from the revenge factor, is also the fact that you kind of know how they're treating you. And it's always yeah. good to use the Mark One eyeball in terms of th these are relationship banks, these are customer facing banks. So how they're treating you, you can extrapolate that into how they're treating the broader community, mm. whether that's business, whether that's personal yeah. banking. If you've got a good relationship with ANZ, Westpac or NABs or CBA or whatever it is, and you're happy with the way they're treating you, their fees, their charges, uh, their product range, then that gives you a good insight into it. And there's no such, you know, it's not such a bad thing to then put your money uh, where your bank is, if you like, and and buy the underlying yep. shares, you will yeah, be yep. rewarded. But you, you are buying into the economony and the leverage in the housing market at this, right. especially after the right, right, you know, the rise they've had recently. It's been yeah. astonishing. It's a couple of years ago. I read a, a long-term research report that said you're better off putting mm. your money into your bank shares than any product they offer shareholders, uh, offer customers. Oh. Uh, and that's it, your theme. <laughs> All right, let's survive. recap uh, the first five stocks. Uh, stocks of the day, Afterpay and Zip, basically a hold for Afterpay um, and uh, and Zip some question marks on. Max7, a hold. Unity, a buy from both Henry and Andrew. Uh, Archer, uh, material, uh, sorry, live tiles a no from both of them. Serial disappointer. Um, Archer materials, um, would be entry price at these current levels around a dollar fifty, um, and NAB. Um, Andrew prefers Macquarie or NVB, the ETF that uh, has all our banks. And Henry says, if you want to invest in bank shares, invest in the shares of the bank you're with, and that becomes a revenge investment. 
as you get a return on the money that they're making out of you. Take a look at the Calls Fantasy Portfolio, uh, how it's been going. It's been trading since the 1st of July last year, thanks to our partner NabTrade. Uh, some of the stocks removed, Western Areas, Janus and Education, Virgin Money UK and Link Administration. You can check all the stocks in the Calls Portfolio, osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Quick reminder here at Ausbiz, our subscriber promo promotion that could put you in the draw to win one of six prizes in a pool worth $10,000, including a $5,000 self-wealth trading account is closing on September 5, next week. Now's the time to tell your friends about us. To enter, all you have to do is refer, use the referral code that you get in your Close of Business newsletter every afternoon and share with your networks. Uh, if you're not a subscriber, you can still take part. Sign up at oddsbiz.co forward slash join. All right, let's get into the uh, second half and let's kick off with uh, Vanguard Global Value Equity Active ETF uh, from Sean. Uh, Andrew Sean says, looking for a value factor tilt for my long-term core holdings of the portfolio. Do the experts like this one or is there another one they would recommend? Thanks, Koshi. I was just warming up there because it was an ETF and I was just, you know, getting getting into it. <laughs> uh, Coming off the long run. Off the long run. Uh, look, I don't mind VVLU. Um, <laughs> as you just spoke about before, it is a value ETF, so we might just pause it there very quickly. Um, when you're looking at ETFs, you can look at a thematic. So you can sort of say, I like small companies, which is one of the ones we'll talk about in a minute, or I like electric vehicles or whatever. Another way to look at it is what's a factor, what's sort of one of the drivers. So you can have like a growth factor, a value factor, a momentum factor, a volatility factor. There's a number of different factors that you can have a look at. What the name suggests is companies that are undervalued, are good value. And for a decade, the value factor has markedly underperformed the market like big time. Uh, because growth was where it's at, and we saw the likes of Microsoft and Apple, etc. However, that period of November through March last year into this year, where bond yields sort of suddenly surged, there was a huge uptick in the value factor. And as we can see there in that chart, really sort of started there around October, it really picked up. So VVLU is up about 54%, I think, at one stage for the year. Um, and so when you're having a look at the sort of what does it actually hold? It holds about 1,200-odd companies. The average PE of the company that it's holding is 11 times relative to the market. And again, bearing in mind, this is a global ETF, relative to 20 times. So it's benchmark, 20 times earnings. The companies with that it's holding is around 11 times earnings. So, you know, they're arguably cheap. It's overweight financials. So it's about 25% of this index is banks and insurers relative to the index, which is around 13%. It's also pretty heavy in energy. About 8% of the index is energy relative to the, sorry, 8% of the ETF is energy compared to about 3% of the index. And it's also overweight telcos. And if you hate tech, if you're worried about tech, this is the one for you because tech is 20% of the index. This is 5% tech. Right. So really it's betting that tech's going to fall over that people are going to want banks, they're going to want energy, and they're going to want telco. So if that's your view, this is the ETF for you. There are other value ETFs out there as well. Vanek has one, VLUE. Um, I don't mind this one. I prefer multi-factor ETFs. In other words, instead of just trying to work out, is growth better than quality, better than whatever, even though I do like quality as a factor. Um, but certainly nothing wrong with this. I've got clients holding it. I've recommended it in the past. Um, but from my mind, I think bond yields are going to stay low. I think growth is certainly where it's going to be. So I wouldn't necessarily be chasing this. This is probably more of a defensive play. Okay. Henry? Um, well, I'd have to agree with the, uh, the ETF whisperer, uh, Andrew, <laughs> on this one. Uh, at the end of the day, this is a listed managed fund, let's face it. It's not really an ETF. I mean, it's a listed managed fund. It uh, hasn't got a benchmark tracking to it. It's got a proprietary quant model, which it uses to identify the stocks that it invests in. So it is a managed fund. You don't know what the black box is doing. All you know is that it's going to invest in stocks that have a low PE, because that's how the black box spits out the answers. There's nothing wrong with it, but it has obviously ridden the, uh, the immense rise in the US markets, because it is quite 
uh, skewed towards U.S. stocks, as you would expect. Uh, they're a big part of the international scene. So, yeah, it's... If, if you, as Andrew says, if you like the more defensive side of things and you don't want that tech exposure, maybe this is a way to go. But uh, you are, you know, you are putting your money in the hands of someone that's going to manage it actively and using their black box. So you're trusting in the box. It's only a $227 million fund, I might mention as well. So it's not exactly attracted the big bucks, but uh, it has performed relatively well and it does give you that exposure to those defensive stocks. So, yeah, if you must, why not? Okay. All right. Um, uh, next stock, Samuel wants a view, Henry, on uh, Michael Hill International, big jewellery group, uh, reported this week, shot the lights out, and they've made or increasing sales on compressed diamonds or almost fake diamonds, uh, technology to, that, that you develop a diamond in a laboratory. That's been going uh, pretty well for them. I, I sort of, on sunrise calls it, called it costume jewelry, but uh, but Michael Hill's <laughs> team then sent me all the scientific and technical stuff with what they do, and it's all apparently done in the lab. Uh, yeah, I mean it's amazing what they can do in a lab. I had a friend who had a business that was compressing people's ashes into a um, a diamond-like. Uh, material that wow. you could hang around your neck wow. and this was That's done cheery. by a lab in switzerland <laughs> yeah you could take take your loved one with you forever wow. um, yeah interesting concept um, michael hill though going back to michael hill good results the stock has been on a bit of a um a bit of a tear recently it's not one the market really looks at i guess mainly because i suspect we kind of look at it as a bit of a new zealand stock rather than and yeah. we all see it in the high street in australia but it's it's not very well followed over here. It has done pretty well. It's been one of those stocks that's done well out of COVID. And I'm looking at Levisa today as well, which um, doesn't even bother pretending they're diamonds. These guys just uh, putting out uh, cheap uh, jewelry for teenagers. The stock's up 23% on its results today. So they're wow. back to $20, which is extraordinary as we've seen the economy around the world uh, open up. So. Um, I don't mind Michael Hill. I don't know whether this is going to be a step change in the way we purchase from jewellers, etc. They've done very well with the online side of things, and the results well, they were they were pretty pretty good. Uh, a little bit disappointing, I suspect, on the dividend side of things, but it's yeah. just not a very well followed stock, uh, right. I'm afraid. But it's certainly a hold here. Uh, I'm not sure it's a diamond hold or a hodl, as they would call it, um, but it's certainly certainly a hold interesting as well the other one i guess that we don't follow very often is shaver group which is uh, yeah. another one that's sort of a bit of a sleeper stock and if we're all going to be locked down for months you know where you're going to get your haircut from yeah, it's yeah. going to be shaver group yep. so but yeah michael hill i think is a is a hold uh, but extraordinary from the visa today 23 percent rise uh, that has been an absolute knockout stock Gee. for investors yeah beauty uh, andrew what do you think of michael hill yeah, look, um, I guess a couple of takeaways. You're right, it's very thinly traded, only about $47,000 a day on a $300 million company. So the institutions can't get set in it. And one of the reasons is because Emma Hill, the former chair, daughter of Sir Michael Hill, owns 43% of the business. Right. So when the founder or relation thereof controls such a high quantity of it, it's very hard for anyone to sort of get involved in that. Uh, I note the PE is incredibly cheap. It's something like eight times, but you've got forecast EPS growth, I think is negative for next year. I just point out that the new CEO is actually the former CEO of City Chic. And uh, as you know, we've been following City Chic here, CCX. Uh, when he left City Chic, the share price was 50 cents. It's now five bucks. Yeah. Uh, he was also the former deputy CEO <laughs> Hmm. So certainly he's got some challenges ahead of him relating to some of his um, past experience. Uh, again, retail's a tough game. I should stress yep. that right from the outset. And then if you overlay that with COVID, that's a whole other layer of complexity. But, you know, before we were talking about management and we were talking about UWL yep. and how the market sort of looks at that really strongly, certainly that's another frame, hard to get set 
um, and the impact of COVID on a hold for Michael. Okay. All right. Um, Adam wants a view, uh, Andrew, on IPH. Uh, Adam's saying, hoping to get the guest view. They provide intellectual property services to businesses using a subscription-based. They're located in Australia. Nice increase in revenue. What does the team think about this one? They basically uh, do all, it's a whole bunch of lawyers, is it, protecting corporate names and trademarks and, and intellectual property of Australian businesses. Patents and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's had a fairly um, um, checkered, is that the right term? Um, so certainly lots of moving parts relating to sort of the corporate side of, of when it was listed. We could spend all day on that. But if we just talk about the financial side, not casting aspersions on them, they've done a really good job. Uh, please don't sue me. Uh, PE of 24 times relative to sort of the peer group at 25. Forecast earnings per share growth of 4%. Consensus is 9.13 versus a share price of 9.16. It's a hold. It's it, There's no value there. It, the, the, as you can see on the chart there, it's had that nice little pickup from sort of the sevens already. So certainly I, I would be waiting for a downturn here. The All the good news is sort of baked into it. They've had a, a drop off in the number of patents and, and trademarks they've been working on, but that's more of a systemic um, economic uh, function rather than their business themselves. So to me, it's just cyclical, we'll wait for it to come back off and the opportunity would be to buy in the sevens. All right, Henry? Uh, this is probably uh, pretty fully priced. It's had a really big jump up after those results. The results were pretty good, I have to say. Acquisitions uh, could be the way forward for this, these guys in terms of growth strategy, uh, and that may come with some equity raisings. You never know. So uh, for me, it's had a really good big spurt. I'd be taking profits up here, uh, waiting for it to drop back into the low eights before revisiting it. But pretty good company, doing all the right things, but... Uh, it's just had that big spurt, so it looks overvalued. I'd probably be looking to sell this one back down uh, okay. and waiting till it gets down to 8, 840 again. All right. Um, uh, another ETF has come up. Andrew, this one from Shane, the <laughs> Vanguard MSCI International Small Companies Index. Um, I lo- love the way, love it when you email in, you pick out our experts and... Um, so Shane saying, this might be a question for Andrew Wheeler next time he's on. Uh, I'd like his view on this ETF. It's great. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks very much, Shane. Uh, and yeah, look, I, I don't mind this one. Um, it, it's certainly one, if you had a more um, conservative view of the world, that you, you didn't like volatility, then this may not be one for you. But if you've got a more aggressive view of the world, that you like sort of small companies, which tend to bounce around a lot, then this is certainly one that you might want to have a think about. Uh, Henry mentioned before the funds under management for the other ETF we spoke about, that was about 227 million. This one's only 142. So again, it's quite small, but uh, it's done pretty well for the year. It's up about 42% for the year. It's uh, up around 15% per annum since listing. It uh, holds a number of different companies, uh, companies like Nuance, Bill.com, AMC, the theatre people. I'm not sure I'm super happy with that being number three. Uh, oh. Probably the, the thing I like about this is that it's got a sharp ratio of 4.3. You might remember, Koshi, we spoke about sharp ratios previously, which is how much additional risk you're being asked to bear, or how much, sorry, how much additional performance you're being, are you achieving for the risk you're being asked to bear. So any number above one is good, two is really good, and anything above three is excellent. This is 4.3. So Whoa. it's got a really strong sharp ratio so um, for clients that are or uh, viewers I should say that are sort of looking for something a bit more um, uh, interesting don't you don't know which small company to buy you want that broad eclectic mix uh, I could certainly think of worse ones to be buying than this one okay Henry um, it's got 4,200 companies that invest in hang on so how many 4,274 Wow, that's a lot for a hundred. Yeah, what was a hundred million dollar portfolio? Uh, hundred forty million dollar portfolio, of which it collects fees every year of about four hundred and fifty grand, which doesn't seem a lot of expertise to be buying in four thousand two hundred and seventy four stocks, um, which well, is probably why it's only got one hundred forty two million in it. So. Um, not really my kind of thing, I must admit. You are, this is kind of there. You know, you, you just 
you might as well chuck money at every runner in the race and just hope that the race is run. So uh, not really for me. It's If you want to go small caps, maybe uh, it's a very defensive way to play it. But to be honest, if, if you're that defensive, you wouldn't be going for small caps, which is why it's $142 million invested yeah. in this one. So no, not for me. Yeah, Andrew, that's not even an index fund, a small caps fund or anything. Why, why would they have that many? As Henry was saying, it's just bought the field. Yeah, I'm actually just looking at the Vanguard side at the moment. Well, it is buying the benchmark. So the benchmark's got 4,261 and it's holding pretty close to it. Oh, um, nice. The average company's $5.4 billion. Now, in, in, in Australia world, $5.4 billion is a big sum. Large. But, sorry? That's a large cap company. Correct. So, you know, I think we all love Australia, but you know, let's not kid ourselves. We're 2% of the world. Right. This is a way in which you can get exposure to 4,274 companies whose average value is about $5.4 billion and whose earnings are growing by about 10% per annum. Um, so I guess, and Henry's right, if you're balanced or, or you know, you've got a very low uh, attitude to risk, you certainly wouldn't be looking at this. But this is a way in which Australian investors can get exposure to growing not 20, 30, 50 billion dollar companies, but five billion dollar companies and lots of them rather than trying to work out is nuance better than build a com versus all the others. Mm. Yeah. OK. All right. Our final stock um, uh, comes from Dave Henry. He wants a view on vital metals. Uh, he says, I believe in the future of rare earths. Not actually that rare in brackets, he says. Uh, outside of China, uh, it's rarer than. Uh, but get the feeling there won't be any profits or share price appreciation for many years in vital metals. Is he right, Henry? Probably. Um, he's certainly <laughs> right that rare earths aren't that aren't that rare because uh, we know they're not that rare. It's the actual uh, the being able to produce them from the uh, the concentrate which is the hard thing i like vital metals these guys have done this before these guys were there with linus uh, jeff atkins runs this i've seen them present a number of times they just bring into production a canadian uh, light rare earths uh, project uh, called nachalico uh, nachalico and maybe that's the better pronunciation but uh, it always looks pretty impressive and instead of doing what linus did which was sort of go um, guns for glory in terms of trying to get a massive project up and running and then uh, producing rare earths from that. They've done a far more staged approach to it, far less capital intensive and a more staged approach, which is kind of, I like, they're being a lot more cautious. And I think being in North America, they've just made an acquisition in Quebec of a heavy rare earths project. So that's going to make them both heavy and light. And I think that will be the um, they'll be the first North American producer of rare earths and rare earths have a strategic value and it's although there's lots of them around it's not easy to produce them so I like this one it's a question of where you buy it to be honest when they were around five or six cents this was actually vied with uh, Archer Materials as my one stock for five years uh, for those that have long memories they will probably remember Linus was a dog for a long, long time before it sort of came out and came out of the kennel and mm. uh, became the sort of superstar rare earth company that it was. But for a long time, it was under pressure, struggled with the project up in uh, in Malaysia. And it was only really Amanda Lacaz that turned the whole thing around. So I like Vital. I think they've got good management, good project and good acquisition in the right space at the right time. I think this one will go well in the next two or three years. But it won't happen overnight, as you rightly say, but it will happen. I would simply, and Henry briefly alluded to it, but the US have got a big uh, push towards securing strategic reserves of uh, rare earths, and they've uh, been talking with both the Australian and Canadian governments. So if, if you needed another reason to support Henry's thesis, that's it. It's a yep. speculative buy. Okay. Henry Jennings from Marcus today. Thank you kindly. Andrew Wheelock from DP Wealth Advisory. Thank you for joining us way out in Toowoomba, uh, the land of the free at the moment compared with most other states. <laughs> All right. See you guys. Uh, let's just recap the uh, the final five stocks. Vanguard uh, Value Active, 
Um, basically, the guys think you can get better options elsewhere. Uh, Michael Hill, a hold. Uh, IPH, um, the Intellectual Property Group, um, a hold from Andrew. Um, Henry would be selling at these levels because it's had a, a terrific run-up and its multiples are pretty high at the moment. Um, the Vanguard Small Companies, uh, a yes from Henry, um, uh, a yes from Andrew rather. Henry is basically saying it's got four and a half thousand stocks in it. It's only got 140 million under management, so um, why bother? And Vital Metals is a yes from both um, in that rare earths area and could be a, an up and comer in a uh, industry that's pretty hot at the moment along with lithium. Um, and um, if you just look at Linus and Linus came up on the ticker just before Henry was saying he was uh, looking at Linus at around 50 cents. It's now at around $6. So um, yeah, uh, Vital could be the next uh, the next big one to come through. Very big day uh, for the buy now, pay later space market, darling. Afterpay's full year losses blown out to almost eightfold uh, as it doubles marketing spend to tap into new markets despite revenue climbing almost 80% on its way to $1 billion. The $160 million loss almost double what analysts have been forecasting after larger than expected share-based payment costs and financial liabilities push the bottom line way out just as the BNPL waits on shareholders to accept the all script takeover bid from US payments giant Square. Total customers up over 60%, 16 million customers at Afterpay. Total active merchants up 77%. Underlying sales double United States overtaking Australia as its biggest market. To take us through the results, uh, Chief Executive of Afterpay and founder Anthony Eisen joins us now. Anthony, welcome to Ausbiz. Um, for you, what are the takeouts? What What are the big takeouts of this result? Highlights for you? Yeah, the, the thanks for having me. The highlights was that we continue to grow, not just the top line, but I was very pleased that we've de delivered a very strong margin result as well. Um, what you've seen from us in the last couple of years is a real um, strong attempt to take what was originally an Australian innovation um, and industry launch pad here to the United States and beyond. So progressing growth in Australia still, which we still see as being relatively immature in the grand scheme of things, but now the US overtaking Australia, illustrating the growth potential of that market, as well as increasing in the UK by over 200% and launching in Europe. Um, were really significant features of the last 12 months for us. Um, underpinning all that though, the really strong point is the connection that we're having with customers. Um, the next generation of consumers, be it millennials and Gen Z, and the way they're influencing the rest of the market. We were privileged to strike a chord with this next generation because of the trust-based features of Afterpay and why we were different to traditional credit products. And seeing our ecosystem develop to make more and more use of that connection and having customers use us more frequently as we develop more services around our core product was probably the most pleasing aspect of the last 12 months. Okay. Um, uh, by now, paid later stocks are a real... Uh, lightning rod in the market, aren't they? Uh, you've got your lovers and your haters, and they're both at extremes. Um, the haters are saying your margins are being squeezed. What do you say to them? Well, I think our results today just illustrate that notwithstanding we've been hearing that and, um, you know, obviously operating in a competitively charged world since the very beginning, you know, our top line margins have remained pretty firm. And when you look at our net margins, they've also stayed pretty firm by the innovations that we've brought to bear. Um, it's not just about a transaction engine is the other point that I'd make here. And I know we've been saying it for some time, but I think our results today, but importantly, what we've talked about in terms of the way our ecosystem is developing 
illustrates the point. So as an example, you know, we've on average provided a million leads a day to our retail network globally. That's a really significant amount of connection points for retailers that impact their top line and their bottom line. Um, the ability to do that means that customers are actually starting their journey with Afterpay. So how we give more connection points in a two-sided network to retailers really drives our differentiation. We've launched tools very recently like Afterpay IQ that allows merchants to connect with customers that are very hard to reach. And it's more of those aspects that truly differentiate us from a mere payments platform or transaction engine. Um, so we see that being very sustainable and that's obviously where a lot of our investment has gone into. Um, it's almost as if you're using buy now, pay later as your launch pad to become a new age bank, a disruptor, to build a client base, build that trust that's at a different generation that, that doesn't relate to traditional financial institutions and then you're going to expand into a bank and that's the attraction from Square, I suppose. I'd, I'd put it a slightly different way. Um, you know, there's no differentiation in terms of the way the next generation is viewing a lot of things which were singular activities or traditional pillars of business. What you're seeing across the world is this cross-section of commerce, payments and finance coming together there's not the stark differentiation that existed before. What we've been able to tap into is a trust equation with customers because we invented a style of product that didn't mean customers had to lose for the merchant to win or for us as a business to win either. We've developed something which is truly a win-win scenario. And when you create that level of transparency and simplicity for customers, and do it in an environment where these concepts of payments, finance um, and transactions are all merged together, then, you know, that is what the interesting opportunity is all about. So it's not doing one thing to become another. It's just bringing more innovation to something which consumers are seeing as being seamless, real time, but wanting that simplicity and transparency and something that relates to their core values all the way through. Um, Square have been very clear on what you will add to them. What do they add to you? Well, when you think about our mission and our vision, some of which I've just gone through, we just see huge alignment in empowering the next generation um, under a new model. You know, this win-win equation um, to power an economy in which everybody wins and to produce um, an equation where there is more financial fairness is what has driven Square to great greatness to date um, and is continuing to drive, you know, their business. When you look at what they can do for Afterpay, it's hugely significant. Um, on their cash app side, you know, there's 70 million consumers over the last 12 months that they've engaged with. On the seller side of their equation, they have millions of retailers that they engage with and use their products and services every day. In terms of what Afterpay can benefit from is bringing those two huge networks together. Of course, today, Afterpay works in a true two-sided network, but when you look at our scale, it's about 16 million customers and about 100,000 merchants. So being able to tap into and draw together this very scalable platform globally, as well as huge advancement in other areas of innovation like consumer investing, um, consumer saving, etc., is where we see significant opportunity to accelerate the mission that we're on. Yeah. Um, as part of the deal, how long are you and Nick locked in for? We're not going anywhere. Um, you know, from our perspective, this is still very early. Um, you know, our mission's the same, our vision's the same. You know, the way that we looked at the transaction for us individually and that for our team is not to move the needle a little bit, but something that could be multiple points from here. 
So for us, we're fully committed to seeing through what was originally a vision around empowerment for the next generation. Um, so we think we're very early on. I, I always get a bit nervy when, when founders do big deals or big sellout deals like this. Um, ever since the lowies picked the top of the market with Westfield, and I always say, oh, founders are going to sell out. Why don't I? Because uh, they picked the top of the market. Is it the top of the market for buy now, pay later? Uh, I don't think it is at all. And our approach to this transaction exemplifies why we think it's for the long term. You know, we never set about to sell the company. When we originally met Square, it was about, you know, some of the ways that we could possibly interact as businesses because from the outside in, we saw a huge synergy and potential. It just so happened as we peeled back the layers that um, we saw it as being compelling. So, you know, our whole approach here was not about a short-term exit. Um, it was about laying up the future. And I think that's completely reflected in the way that this yeah. whole transaction came to light. Yeah, it's an extraordinary success story. Uh, and they really appreciate When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Take care.